Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for part two of Safe and Secure. All right, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but this past week, a group of us uh, headed out to Billings, Montana in order to serve uh, Elevation uh, Church there in Billings, Montana. And so we did a number of various service projects for that church. And if you don't know anything about Elevation Church Billings, um, it was founded, started by our very own uh, Pastor Dave Carroll, who was on staff here uh, for four years. And so he's been out there now. Can you believe it? This month, he's been out in Billings for four years. And so what we did is we went there. And, and by the way, next week before the offering, we're going to give you a full update for three, four, five minutes. And you'll get to hear from Pastor Dave uh, via vid- uh, video. And we'll share with you um, everything that our team accomplished uh, last week, next week. Okay. But while we were there, we spent a week doing, as I said, various service projects um, there uh, for that church facility. And then after a really hard week of work, Friday, this past Friday, two days ago, we took a fun day and we went over to Yellowstone National Park. How many of you guys have been to Yellowstone National Park? Let me see your hands. If you've never been there, you got to go there. It's absolutely amazing. And while we were in the park, we saw all these various animals. The highlight was when we actually saw a, a mama bear and her cubs. Okay. And so while we're leaving the park, we went on this thing. I never even heard of this before this past week. It was called Beartooth Highway. And while we're on Beartooth Highway, we went through Beartooth Pass. And so we saw, for example, the, the, the mama bear and her cubs. We also saw some other pictures, which you'll scroll through. While we're up over 10,000 feet above sea level, man, what a panoramic view, what a beautiful view we had of the gorgeous state of Montana. I'm sorry, and Wyoming, Montana and Wyoming. And so we were up there over 10,000 feet up on these lofty peaks, looking out over God's creation. By the way, isn't God an amazing artist in what he does there? And so we played in the snow. I made lots of snowballs and pelted Pastor Lee and others on the, on the team, but we had a lot of fun. Okay, now, as I said, next week we'll give you an update. But as I was thinking about what to talk to you guys about today, I thought, you know, Romans chapter 8, where we are, it's just like Beartooth Pass. It is lofty, and it is beautiful. I mean, Romans chapter 8, there's a reason why we're doing five messages in this chapter. Because in this chapter, Paul takes us to the mountaintop. In this chapter, Paul helps us to scale the the lofty heights of God's amazing promises. Just right there. They've been there for 2,000 years in the scriptures, just waiting for the children of God, to open and to read and to learn and to allow these promises to go from your head. It's not just an intellectual exercise of theology, no, but to sink down into your heart where you understand that you are a favored child of God. Romans chapter 8, like Beartooth's Pass, gives us this panoramic view of God's promises for our lives. And so look by way of review in verse 28. This is what we did two weeks ago. And we know that how many things? All things. All means all. The seemingly good, the seemingly bad. 
All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he, what's the word? Foreknew. If you haven't underlined that, you got to underline it. He also, what's the word? Please underline that one if you haven't already. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also, what? Called. And whom he called, those he also, what? And whom he justified, those he also, what? Glorified. What a stunning view in verses 28, 29, and 30. What a stunning view of God's work in our lives from eternity past, follow this, all the way to eternity future, like standing up on Beartooth Pass and seeing Wyoming and seeing Montana, getting the whole picture. What we just did in those three verses is we saw God's plan for your life from eternity past in this life and into eternity future. If you love the Lord, let me just see your hand, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if you love the Lord, you've got to understand that he loved you first. Way back in eternity past, he knew you. And not only that, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so, so, so follow this, this panoramic view. Eternity past, God knew you intimately before he ever formed the world. Not only that, the Bible says he predestined you. Then, now in this life, the Bible says that he's working all things together for good in your life. The good things, the bad things, he's working it all together. And not only that, in this life, he called you, and when you put your faith in Jesus, he justified you, he saved you. Done deal. Thank the Lord for that. Then it keeps going into eternity future, where what's going to happen in eternity future when he returns is that he's going to give you a brand new body. That's lofty stuff. Now, here's the good news. We're still on the mountaintop. We still got nine verses left in Romans chapter 8 before we come down uh, to Romans chapter 9. Not that Romans chapter 9 is any less inspired than chapter 8. It's just that chapter 8 has these lofty promises. And so let's finish up the chapter. We're going to start today in verse 31. Romans 8, 31. Paul, you know, he's just... I, 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 he's filled with the Spirit. He's so overcome with joy as he's written the previous three, four, five verses. And then he says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If, and by the way, in the Greek, if can also be translated since. Okay, so since God is, what's the next two words? For us. He's not against us. He's for us. Since God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Here's your first point. If you're taking notes, we are safe and secure because God is for us. This is the message that God's children need, especially after you get beat up all week and some of you drag yourself into church and thank God you came 
Because a lot of people who woke up, who've been beat up all week, just decided to stay in bed. And man, what they're missing today from Romans chapter 8. God is for you. Now, I love the way he started out verse 31. He said, what then shall we say to these things? In other words, how should we respond to the promises of God? And some of you, I'm so excited about this, most of you, you're enthusiastic about verses 28, 29, and 30. I mean, you hear the fact that God um, knew you before he formed the world and that he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. And then um, you hear about the fact that the Holy Spirit called and wooed you. And then when you believe the gospel, that he absolutely justified you or declared you righteous and you can never be unjustified. You are justified forever and ever and ever, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. You hear about that, you get excited, and then you get really excited about the fact that someday, because your body right now is not saved, even though your spirit is saved, someday your body's going to get saved, and you're going to have a brand new resurrected body, and you think, yes, right? Praise the Lord for that. I'm so excited about that. Many of you are enthusiastic. But here's my concern. Some of you may not be so enthusiastic, Some of you actually may be indifferent. Some of you may even be skeptical. And you think foreknowledge, predestination, the effectual call, justification, glorification. Pastor, can you you talk to us about something that's more realistic? It reminds me of a story I heard about a farmer who was a man of faith. He ran this big pig farm a fairly large pig farm who had several farm hands. And one day, his sophisticated cousin from the big city, who was highly educated, decided he was on his way to do business in another city, but he decided to stop by his cousin, who was a farmer, uh, stop by his farm for a visit. So that evening, the farmer, his family, and the sophisticated cousin sat down for dinner And the farmer, who was a man of faith, uh, asked everybody to bow their heads for prayer. He gave thanks over the food that God had provided, but he noticed that his cousin never bowed his head. And so very politely and very kindly, the farmer said, cousin, I noticed um, you didn't bow your head. Do you not believe in prayer? And the cousin replied, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but you asked me, so I'll answer you. I think prayer is just an outdated tradition for people who don't have a realistic view of life. And unshaken by his comment, the farmer then said, well, you'd be glad to know, cousin, that there are others on this farm who also never give thanks for their food before they eat. And the cousin said, you mean the other workers? And the farmer said, no, I'm talking about my pigs. My pigs. You see, how should we respond to these amazing truths of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for us? How should, should we be skeptic? Should we be indifferent? Should we be like, is he done yet? Should that be our response? Or should our response be faith and thankfulness and gratefulness? 
our response, whether we feel like it or not, should be thankfulness and gratefulness. In fact, we should bow our heads and we should thank God for his amazing promises and not be like a bunch of ungrateful pigs. That's what we should, that should be our attitude. And so look at verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things since God is, again, what's the words? For us. Now, sadly, some of you have received Christ as your Savior. That's a good thing. But, but some of you have received Christ as your Savior, but you still think that God's against you. Can we, can we just be honest this morning? And the reason you think God is against you is because you keep messing up, because you keep failing, because you're maybe not having your devotions on a regular basis, because you maybe have some type of besetting sin, uh, maybe something that uh, won't leave you alone. And you really have bought into the lie that God is against me. The reason, I'm going to help you out today, the reason you think that way is because you're focusing too much on your performance and not enough on God's promises. See, this is why it's so important that we're in the word every day, renewing our mind, renewing our mind, renewing our mind, because these words are truth. These words are alive. These words are life, and it'll... it'll counteract the lies of the enemy. And so when you begin to focus more on God's promises and less on your performance, then you realize by the word of God that God is not against you. He's absolutely for you. So important. And then what happens is once you start walking that out for a while, then you see that your life begins not doing this all the time, but you see, as you focus less on your performance and more on God's promises, you see that your life is like slowly going up. It's called sanctification. Never perfection, but sanctification. Just listen to the word of God here. I'm reading from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Listen to this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy. Everybody say mercy. So great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Do you fear God? You must. You're here on church on Father's Day. It says his mercy is great toward you. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's amazing. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. And so, hey, we're not perfect. Newsflash, you'll never be perfect this side of the grave. But you have a father who loves you. You have a father who pities you. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so know that in your head. Let it sink down into your heart. Realize who you are in Christ. Look at verse 32 from Romans chapter 8. He, that's the father, who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, 
how shall he not with him also freely give us how many things? All things. It's not talking about your private jet or your mansion or, you know, I'm not preaching that at all. I'm saying all things necessary to live for the Lord. He's going to freely give those things to you. Listen, the Father proved his love for us. So many people struggle. So many Christians struggle. Does God really love me? I don't think he loves me. I don't feel like it today. I kept messing up this past week. I think he's against me. Listen, the Father proved his love for you by sending his son on a rescue mission. What is said in verse 32, by delivering his son up, by giving his son over to this cruel, vicious uh, torment, uh, the passion of the Christ, which culminated in him hanging on a cross. Man, God gave us his greatest gift. If God wasn't for you, he never would have given given his son for you and for me. And so God gave his greatest gift, his son, God gave his most valuable gift, his son, Jesus Christ, for you. And so if he gave us his greatest gift, why do we think he's going to hold back anything of lesser value that'll help us live for him? Why would he do that? Right? Why would he do that? Imagine if you entered a drawing for a Porsche 911. I like to fantasize about these type of things, but... Imagine if you entered into a drawing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people at the local Porsche dealership. And the big day came and they're doing this and they reach in and they read your name. You won a brand new Porsche 911. And you're so excited, man. And the the owner of the dealership, here you go, gives you the keys and you open the door and you jump in. You can't believe you have this car and you look down and you notice there's no floor mats. And you look over at the owner, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, there's no floor mats. Can you imagine if that owner of that dealership looked at you and said, what else do you want? I just gave you a brand new car. The floor mats are on you. Now, he would never say that. Why? Because if Porsche is willing to give you a $90,000 car, I think they'll cough up $50 mats. You see how that works? Listen, If God gave us his greatest gift, his son, why would he hold back anything of any lesser value to help you live for him? He wants you to live for him. And so he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. It's all right there. Stop being an Eeyore. Stop living by your feelings. Stop being under your circumstances. Start renewing your mind in the promises of God and allow the promises to go from your head to your heart to your feet and live in victory as a child of God. And when you do that, other people will notice and they'll begin to follow the Lord as well. Every single morning when you wake up, whether you feel like it or not, and I know a lot of you are not morning people. I found that out this this week in Billings, Montana. Half the team are not morning people. They They don't want to talk until they've had at least two cups of coffee, okay? But hey, whether you're a morning person or not, every morning when you wake up, you should say this. God is for me. God is for me. He foreknew me. He predestined me. He called me. He justified me. He's going to glorify me. He's working all things together for my good and his glory. And not only that, 
Someday he's going to give me a brand new body that will never get sick and never die. And I'm going to live and reign with him for a thousand years and then on and on and on and on forever. Every single morning, rehearse that. Look at verse 33 now. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? I mean, it's God who justifies. You see what Paul's doing here? People are going to accuse you. The devil's going to accuse you. Relatives are going to accuse you. So-called friends are going to accuse you. Who cares? God justified you. Right? God, the Father, he's the one who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ, the Son, who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God. And he also makes intercession for us. Here's your next point. We are safe and secure because the Father and the Son, they will never condemn us. Never. See, the fact that some of you believe that you're being condemned right now by God means that you've bought into religion, not into Christianity. It's right there in black and white. The Father and the Son will never, ever condemn you. In Zechariah, I love it. It's a, it's a beautiful story of how the Lord stood up for a high priest named Joshua who was being accused by the devil uh, for his sin. I'll just read it uh, to you. If you want to write down somewhere in your notes, I'm, I'm reading from Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. But once again, listen to the word of God. It says in Zechariah chapter three, then God showed me Joshua. Okay, so Zechariah is a prophet. God's giving him a vision and he sees the high priest named Joshua. And Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord and standing next to the high priest is Satan and Satan is opposing Joshua. This is not Joshua um, the assistant of Moses. This is much later in history. This is a high priest named Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this, pointing at Joshua, the high priest, is this not a stick that's been plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. You know, no doubt his head is hanging low. As he was standing before the angel, the angel of the Lord, and God answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, quote, take away the filthy garments from Joshua. And then he looked at Joshua and God said this. This is what he's saying to some of you. See, I have removed your iniquity and I will clothe you with rich robes. You see what's going on here? Joshua stood in the presence of the Lord, but there was a problem. It's the same problem you and I have. He's clothed in filthy garments. The filthy garments represented his sin. And Satan is there, and he's accusing Joshua before the Lord, saying, see? See his filthy garments? See his sin? You see this? He's not worthy of you. Satan does that, by the way. Have you noticed? Constant condemnation, constant accusations, constant trying to keep you down because he doesn't want you to live the victorious Christian life. 
He's called in Revelation 12, verse 10, the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He accuses. But God, here's what you got to know, stood up for Joshua and said, Satan, I rebuke you because Joshua is like a stick. He was on his way into the fire, but I've chosen him, plucked him out of the fire. I've chosen to, uh, by my grace, remove his iniquity and to save him. And then he looks at Joshua and says, I have removed your iniquity. Now here, take this rich robe. And he exchanges the filthy garments for the rich robe of God's righteousness. That's a beautiful picture of what God does for his elect. Did you see it? Look, look at it again in verse 33. Some people get uncomfortable when you say the word elect. It's right there in the Bible. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, he said, who shall bring a charge against God's who? Elect. It is God who justifies. And so Satan is going to accuse you. Satan, now, now this is only for people who've received Jesus as their Savior and Lord here, okay? If you haven't done that, this, none of these promises are for you. But if you're a born-again Christian, Satan's going to accuse you before the Father. See? Look at his sin. Look at her sin. Look at those filthy garments. But you've got to understand, whether you feel like it or not, that your father is standing up for you. And the father is saying, Satan, I rebuke you. This one right here is like a stick that was headed for the fire. But by my grace, I've chosen to pluck him out of the fire. In other words, this person, that's you and me, they were headed for hell. And you got to get that or you'll never get the gospel. You were headed for hell. I was headed for hell. But God, by his grace, said no. And he chose, by his grace, to pluck us out and to forgive our sin and to clothe us in a rich robe. What is that rich robe? It's the rich robe of Christ's righteousness. This is such good news. Child of God, you never have to worry about hell. Because Jesus experienced hell for you. See, it's not just the Father who's for you. It's the Son who's for you. Did you see that in verse 34? Look at verse 34. Who is he who condemns? The idea there is, who cares? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who right now is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession or prayers for us. And so the next time Satan tries to condemn you or accuse you, which, by the way, will probably be by the time the sun goes down today, what you have to do is you have to remind yourself, God the Father's for me. And not only that, God the Son is also for me, and he proved it. You know how? Paul just said it. He died for me. He rose from the dead for me. He ascended to the right hand of the Father for me. And right now he's praying for me. And if Jesus wasn't for me, he certainly would have not have done all that. Let it sink down into your heart. And the reason, the only reason God can pluck you and I from the fires of hell is because Jesus paid it all. Look at verse 35. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? By the way, Paul's not writing theoretically here. He experienced all of that. He says, as it is written, he's quoting now from Psalm 44, 22. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is Paul writing this, who was a sinner. He said, listen, Paul said, I'm the worst sinner. You see that? Paul's not focusing on his performance. Paul's focusing on God's promises. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing. In case I forgot anything, I want to share this. Nothing under creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's your last point. Your last point is we are safe and secure because God has loved us with an everlasting love, whether you feel like it or not. You see, life is filled with trouble, right? You guys know that? Life is filled, as Paul said, with tribulation, distress, persecution. Some of you, this past week, this past month, this past year, you've been through horrendous trials, incredible difficulties. You had no idea what was in store for you when you decided to go from the back lines of the battle to the front lines of battle. And so you've been going through all this heartache, all this difficulty. Here's what you can count on. In the midst of all the difficulties, are you listening? You can count on this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Count on that. I mean, good night. Some of you guys who are in your 70s heard that when you were three years old in Sunday school. And so never leave that. Count on that during your difficult time. Paul says nothing's going to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is death going to separate you from the love of God? Listen to the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, you see now listen, death, whenever death happens, maybe you'll grow to a ripe old age and pass away when you're 90-something, or maybe, uh, God forbid, this week, um, you'll meet your maker. I don't know when it's gonna happen for you. Okay, but death will not separate you from the love of God because to be absent from the body is to be present with who? So your last breath on earth will be your first breath in eternity. That's God's word, right? It's not gonna separate you. He says, will life separate us from the love of God? Uh, no, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How about principalities and powers, demons? For those of you who are new to the Bible, you gotta understand there are millions of demons. There's this network, and they all report to Lucifer or Satan, and they're strategically planted all across the globe, and they're opposing the work of God. They're opposing this work here in Port St. Lucie. Okay, but listen, they cannot separate us from the love of God. 
Because Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says that Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, he disarmed principalities and powers, and he triumphed over them by dying for our sins and rising again. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So they can't separate you from the love of God. How about things present and things to come? No, because Jesus in Hebrews 13, 5 said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. By the way, that's a really short verse. Some of you who have never memorized the Bible, that's a great place to start right there. Hebrews 13, 5. Jesus, I quote it to myself all the time. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How about height or depth as the worship team comes up? Height or depth? Listen to the word of God here. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. And then Paul ends this amazing mountaintop experience called Romans 8. And he said, how about anything else, any other created thing, right? In the heavens, on the earth, wherever. Well, what you got to understand is that nothing escapes the, the, the sovereignty of God. And so, no, nothing will separate you. And I'll quote to you again one of my top three fav favorite verses. Listen to Jesus. My sheep, any sheep in the house? Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me, do you know, as the elect, you were given as a gift by the Father to the Son? He knew that before he created the world. My Father, who has given them to me, who's greater than all, no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are what? One. John 10, 27 through 30. If you're grateful that you are safe and you are secure, can you let the Lord know right now with just a clap offering and a thanksgiving to him? So grateful. But the question is, do you know this love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.